a teaching series called um, God with Us. This is actually the third week. I want you to turn to Matthew 2. I have a lot to say, and yet at the same time, very little to say this morning. And so, um, I want you to read this with me. This is the Matthew account of the birth of Jesus and some of the things going on there. Of course, we know that Luke is way more detailed, but we're going to read this. Matthew chapter 2, it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me so that I may come and worship him too. After hearing the king, they went their way. And the star, which they had seen in the east, went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground, and the Magi worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Uh, The first week of this series, we talked about um, why he came. And the second week, we talked about who he is. And this morning, I want to talk about what he wants. And, you know, this, this, this scene in Matthew, even as a, not a posed boot, but alongside of Luke, you know, it's just a different scene. And I don't know if you ever thought about this. I think it's very strategic by the Lord. But the first account that we have of someone worshiping Jesus in the New Testament are the Magi. Now, you, there's a lot of debates on when that happened and the timing of it and were the wise men, the Magi, really on the scene or was it two years later and all that stuff. And there's that, when you dig into that, it's actually pretty cool reading all the, the stuff. Uh, we know that the shepherds seem to have probably gotten there first because of the Luke account. But I'm just saying the first mention of worshipers worshiping Jesus in the New Testament are the Magi. And there's some really neat things surrounding that. It would take a couple of hours to go through all the stuff that it could possibly be. But we, it seems to be that the Magi were Gentiles. They weren't Jewish. And uh, that right there kind of says a lot, that Jesus came for the whole world, for everyone. And a couple of things I want you to write down. I said what he wants. I want you to notice what it says. It says, where is he? The Magi said, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east, and we have come to worship. And if you're writing things down, this is kind of the, if you get nothing else, write this down. What God wants, what God wants 
from everyone. Not just the ones that already believe in him and have called upon his name, but the ones who have not yet called upon his name. He wants people to come and worship him. I mean, that's, that's the deal. And I think, again, very strategic that right here, I feel like the Magi, though they weren't, as far as we know, they weren't Jewish. They weren't, you know, um, maybe they were from distant lands with maybe even other gods or something. I don't know. But it's interesting that what they said is we have come to worship him. And I was thinking about um, how that's what God set up as a model maybe for, um, for the whole world. There's a, some of you may be familiar with the uh, kind of the father of the faith, Augustine. And he was writing some prayers and he did that a lot. But when, one of his prayers, it says, Thou hast formed us for thyself. Our heart is restless till it finds rest in you. In other words, you have formed us for yourself. God put in us, and we talk about this all the time, but God put in us this desire to long for him. He put in us a longing for himself. And so when we are searching, when we are um, hungry, what we're ultimately hungry and thirsty for is the Lord. And that's because God wants everyone to come and to worship him. And a couple of things before we kind of get into some, um, what I would say some practical things, is you think about the Magi coming in. And, and I will say this about the Magi. I read a lot about this, and I'd never read any of this before, and I thought it was kind of interesting. But the Magi are supposed, some of your versions say the wise men, are supposed that they possibly came from kind of the same order or the same group of people that links all the way back to Daniel. You guys remember in, in Daniel chapter 2, the king was having dreams, and all the wise men, all the... All the um, astrologers and magicians and, and whatever, they, they couldn't interpret the dream. And someone had heard about Daniel who could interpret dreams. So Daniel came and interpreted the dream. And, uh, and because of that, he was made the highest of all. The, uh, in fact, it says, Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts, which is very cool, and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon, and when you get into the word study and all that kind of stuff, these magis that are coming to worship Jesus are said to have been linked all the way back to Daniel. In fact, and so Daniel was kind of the, the leader of that order now, years and years and years earlier. But it says, Daniel, in, in chapter 4, verse 9, O Belteshazzar, which is the, uh, the name that was given to him, kind of like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, says, chief of the magicians, since I know that a spirit of the holy gods is in you and no mystery baffles you, tell me the visions of my dream, which I have seen. So we know, again, we know that it's possible that these magis were linked back to Daniel and therefore probably respected him since he was like the bomb of the magicians. You know what I mean? He was the man. And so they probably would have studied Daniel's book. They probably would have read it. This guy is awesome. Let's study his stuff. And so they probably knew a lot about that. And if that's the case, if these wise men were the Babylonian wise men formerly kind of led um, years apart by Daniel, then they were probably aware of Daniel's prophecies. And in Daniel chapter 9, it talks about um, when Jesus would come and it gives some pretty, uh, pretty specific time frames. And so these wise men, for them to just all of a sudden see a star and go, oh, the king of the Jews must be near. 
I think there's more to that. And, and I want to give you a few things that, that um, kind of what it takes to worship. And using these guys as a model, because as I was reading this, I thought, man, there is a model here. I mean, there's just a reason they're here. And not that I have all the, the skinny on this, but here's some things that I thought about in my own life as it relates to the Magi. And so these Magi coming to worship him and thinking about, they came all the way, it says, from the east. And it was a long journey. And nobody knows exactly how long it took, but some say it took months. Some even say a, a year. But I want you to think about this, okay? And you can start writing these down, things down, um, what it takes to worship. And the first thing I thought about, especially as it relates to these guys, is what it takes to worship. One thing it takes is perception. It takes perception. And when I say that, you think about the word perceive. It means to see. It means to, to know. It means to realize. Or it, it means to understand. Like, oh, man, I, I see that now. Oh, okay, I see. You know, and you think about these guys studying Daniel the prophets and maybe some other books too but these guys at some point saw that this was significant and they certainly saw perceived that it was significant when they saw this star because there's a prophecy in numbers that talks about the star um, that would lead forth and so they're looking at this and they're perceiving okay I'm reading Daniel our, our mentor of old I'm reading this I'm seeing this and then I'm seeing this thing happen in the skies and I am perceiving that something great is going on here. I am realizing that something great is going on here. And, you know, a lot of the songs that Sean picks, I don't know if he does this on purpose or what. Maybe it's just all the Christmas songs. But mention about light coming into the darkness. Light coming into the darkness. Of course, a star will bring light. And this one, obviously, even like it was depicted in this video, brought a bright light in the midst of a dark night and shone even on, on baby Jesus. I think it did go down that way, but, you know, whatever. But look what it says in, in um, John 1.5. It says that the light in the darkness did shine, but the darkness didn't perceive it. Now, that's a, maybe a different translation than you guys are, are used to. But some of you say comprehend it or understood. But that literally means the, kind of the same thing. The light in the darkness did shine, but the darkness didn't perceive it. But here were um, some astrologers, astronomers, scientists, magi that saw something in the sky and they perceived, they understood that something significant was going on. And they, they remembered the things that they were reading. They even looked at the book of Daniel. They perceived it and they began. Well, it's kind of like, uh, I think of, you guys remember the guys that were on the road to Emmaus. And they were walking and all of a sudden this guy comes alongside them and starts talking. It says that their eyes were open and they recognized him, Jesus, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us as he was speaking on the road while he was explaining the scriptures to us? But it says that their eyes were open. And this was when they were sitting at the table when he finally broke bread. But it says that their eyes were open. There was this perception. They were like, oh, I see. And so I was thinking about that and about how if you do not have a perception, if you do not have an understanding where the light doesn't come on about the kind of like we spoke a couple weeks ago, the majesty of Jesus, the reality of who he is, worship may not take place in your heart. You may not move forward. I think perception or perceiving revelation is the first step. Matt Redman has a song that says, worship starts with seeing you. You guys hear me? And so this morning, if, if you are, I was thinking about for me, 
at times it's really difficult to worship. Not just this and here. This is kind of easy because everybody's doing something. We're all at least singing. But I'm talking about that day-to-day grind of worshiping. Sometimes it's hard to worship outside of these circles. And I'm telling you, it, it, it starts, it comes from knowing, understanding, seeing, revelation. Which kind of leads me to the second thought. Worship takes passion. You can write that in. Worship takes passion. And again, looking at that scripture where the guys were walking on the road to Emmaus, it says that their eyes were open, they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road? And they're looking at this in retrospect. They were having dinner with Jesus. Then Jesus broke the bread, and that's when they saw. But they recalled back. When we were walking along, did y'all notice at some point our hearts were burning? And they're like, yeah, I remember that. You remember that? Yeah, I remember that. You can remember that? Yeah. What part was it when our hearts started burning? This passion was welling in us. What was it? And look what it says. Oh, yeah, I remember. While he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us. And I think that's one of the the biggest reasons it's hard for us to, uh, aside from just the pure revelation of who Jesus is, one of the biggest obstacles for us worshiping in our daily life, waking up in the morning or at some point during the day, through the week, for us to um, really engage and worship and adore the Lord is because we just aren't hearing from Him through the Scriptures. Because if you are looking for a way to, to further your worship, to deepen your devotion and your worship to the Lord, man, I'm telling you, the best way to start is to read about Him in the Scriptures to hear his word, to hear his voice. And I know for me, when I kind of am having a hard time, I realize, you know what, it's been a few days, sometimes a few weeks even, before I've really just dived in for who he is. You know, sometimes as a, as a pastor, that can be the biggest struggle. You know, you're studying for the people. But when did you get in the word for yourself? I'm just being honest. You know what I mean? And some, some of those times where it's like, oh, gosh, I feel like I'm not connecting with the Lord. I feel like I, I'm just longing for something, and, and I'm not feeling the presence of the Lord. Well, when's the last time I was in just for me, just for me? And those of you who are in ministry, because we do have a lot of ministry people in here, T-Mania, YWAM, other kind of ministries, listen, if, it's not, if you never get in the Word for you, for you, then your passion may kind of wane. I was having a conversation with a group of uh, young people uh, a couple weeks ago, and we talked about which comes first, the chicken or the egg. And nobody ever knows the answer to that. I'm like, the chicken. It's in Genesis. God created the animals, and then they've started multiplying. It's like, that's an easy answer. And if you didn't know that, well, now you know, and you can go stump people, okay? But think about it. As ministers, and I'm, this, this is a rabbit trail, but I think some of you may need to hear this because a lot of you are in, in ministry. In ministry... As ministers, you missionaries, you leaders, yes, your role, your job is to pour out, to pour out, to pour out, to feed, to shepherd, to encourage, and all that stuff. But listen, how healthy are the people you're feeding going to be if the chicken ain't healthy? How healthy are your eggs going to be if you're not feeding the chicken? Of course, I am saying that on because we're about to get some chickens. We're like this next week, I think we're going to get our chickens. You know what I mean? Anyway. 
But just let that encourage you. If you're in ministry or you're something, listen, you have got to get in and you've got to have a passion within yourself and for yourself. Your passion can't just be ministering to people. Your passion has to be Jesus. Amen? If your passion isn't Jesus, then your passion will wane. But as long as your passion is Jesus first, your eggs are always going to be fertile. Okay? But think about that real quick. I want you to think about that, and especially as ministers, but really not just ministers, everybody. These guys, if you remember the scene on the road to Emmaus, these guys, this was just right after Jesus died. This is right after Jesus was, was crucified, and these were Christ followers. They had put a lot of stock into him, and then this guy dies. And so they're walking along, and they're discouraged, and Jesus comes up, and they're like, hey, what's up? And they're like, not much. Have you heard what's happened? Jesus is like, no, what happened? And he starts telling them, but then Jesus starts talking, and something was welling up, this encouragement. Think about it. The guys on the road to Emmaus were probably discouraged. They were probably disillusioned. They were probably disappointed. And therefore, they may have even been kind of deflated. It's a lot of Ds, but that's okay. And sometimes we get deflated. But remember what I said. When they heard Jesus' voice, and when they heard specifically the Scripture's all of a sudden, it says that their hearts were burning again. I'm telling you right now, if you are having a hard time with the passion of the Lord, get in the scriptures. Don't go to the next conference. Don't go to the next, I mean, you can, but go to the scriptures. This is like the best conference. And it's free. Your initial fee of buying your Bible. All right, the next thing I thought about is how, I mean, think about these guys. Um, again, you know, these guys were, were passionate because they were in here. I mean, for them to know all the stuff, all the details of what must have been played, where did they get that? They got that from the book of Daniel and maybe other places too. They were passionate about the word. But, you know, um, they had that revelation. They had that perception. They had that passion. And these all start with P in case you didn't know. They do because I'm, I'm good like that. Okay? But the next thing it took is um, precedence. I thought about how worship takes precedence. In other words, it's got to come first. You think about what precedence means. It comes from the word precede, which means it must come first. Okay? And for them, before anything else, I don't know what they were in charge of. Maybe they were in charge of a bunch of other magicians. Maybe they were the ones that had to take care of the rabbits before they would come out of the hat. I don't know what their jobs or task was on a daily level. But listen, at some point they said, look, oh my gosh, we got to go. And they said, I don't care about anything. We are leaving. They up and left, whatever it was, and they went. They started journeying. And I thought, that is huge because we don't do that. That's one of the reasons our passion will wane too is because we don't put worship of him. That's what God wants more than anything. First and foremost for our lives is for us to come and to worship him. And like for us, it's down the list. But if you want to be a worshiper, you know, and I really do believe that people that know Christ, that are following Christ, that really is what they want, okay? Maybe they don't know to what levels or extremes they want it, but that is something that we all want as Christ followers. I do want to be a worshiper. I do want to worship in spirit and truth. I have a hard time. Listen, one of the ways that you can advance yourself, you can grow in your worship, is to let Jesus, let the worship of Jesus take precedence. Be willing to cast off everything else. And let that come before you. And that's a promise even in Scripture. If you will seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and of course we know in Scripture Jesus is called the righteousness of God. So He's kind of saying, if you will seek first God's kingdom and me, <laughs> His righteousness, then 
all these other things will be added to you. Of course, he's talking about in the context of not worrying about what you're going to eat or wear. But I'm talking about anything. You know, one of my biggest struggles is getting up early in the morning. I do think it's important. And sometimes, because maybe I don't sleep good at night or whatever, I will say, you know what, I'm going to sleep in another hour or 30 minutes. But here's the truth. And the Lord kind of convicted me of this the other day. If you will seek me first, do you not think that I could provide for you an extra hour of energy every day? An extra hour of ability to mentally, emotionally connect with the things that are before you? Don't you think that if you woke up, I wouldn't honor you by honoring my word and give you enough juice to go an extra hour? It's like, well, yeah, yeah. It's the same thing for all of us. And I thought about these guys. They were going on a long journey and they were willing to put on hold whatever their tasks were. When they put those tasks on hold, I thought about how they left and what they did. As soon as they stepped out of their doorway, as soon as they crossed their threshold, they were on a pursuit. And I know maybe pursuit is kind of the overlying thought here, but think about that. They were pursuing. And I thought about, I don't know if you guys have ever read Psalm 63 verse 8, but it says, my soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. And I remember reading that years ago, and I think I even taught that to uh, my youth ministry one time. And I remember the definition of the word clings because it, you know, it, um, you think of cling, I cling to you, and it, and it certainly does. But really what that word cling means is to stay close, follow hard. Stay close, follow hard. It's kind of like whenever you have your kids out in public places. Some of you got, have kids, you know what I'm talking about. Some of you who don't have kids, <laughs> get ready for this one. But when you have your kids out in a public place, it's okay when you have just one because you've got your jog stroller and you're, you know, you're going along. But when you've got four, what are you going to get? A, you, know, you can even have a double stroller. But what about a quadruple stroller? You don't have one of those. You, it'd be like the width of a car and you can't push it. So what do you do? You have them. They're, they're like little ducklings behind you. you know, and maybe you hold one hand and, and he holds his hand and he holds hand, his hand. And in my case, she holds his hand. She's got three boys and one girl. You know? And you tell them, stay with me. Like last night we were in Walmart, and our boys were everywhere. You know, the other night, uh, I don't know, maybe a week ago, Melissa and I were in Walmart with all of our kids. Yes, we're brave enough to take all our kids to Walmart. And we're walking around, and I I was just kind of tired, you know. It was one of those mornings I didn't wake up early and let God bless that extra hour of my day. You know, I was like, so I'm at Walmart, Melissa's shopping, and she's like, where's the kids? I don't know. (laughs) She's like, Tony, and she's like, you know, going around aisle. You know, and anyway, I mean, I literally was just like, but if you, it's a scary feeling, you guys, it's a scary feeling, (laughs) you know? And so as a parent, here's what we tell our kids. You guys stay close. If you can't see me, that's not good. If I can't see you, that's not good. Stay where I can see you. How many times have we said that? You know what Melissa will do? And this is good. I always forget to do it, but she always remembers. We, we got our stroller, and Emma Kate, our two-year-old, is usually in the stroller. And we did this with all the boys when Rowan was in the stroller, when Cannon. They're just everywhere. And Melissa would say, you put your hands on that stroller. I mean, not stroller, um, the shopping cart. So our boys are all walking around Walmart or wherever at with their hands on their stroller. <laughs> you know? It looks kind of goofy, and it, it's really hard for me to steer it. At some point, I want to say, get your hands off the stroller. But i got to honor my wife. She want, But listen, the point is... Sorry. 
The point is, is that we want our children to stay close and to follow hard, to pursue us. Not to just go off, because what do they do? They go pursue the toy aisle. You know what I mean? If you haven't got your kids or they're not that old, they're not that old yet, you'll, you'll, it's coming. No, 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 no. We'll, we'll get there. There's time for that. Seek me first and the kingdom will be added to you. But right now, stay close, follow hard. Stay close, follow hard. The way that David says it in the Psalms is, cling to me, or my soul clings to you. So cling to the Lord, cling to God, <laughs> cling to the buggy, all right? And I thought about these guys. When they stepped out to pursue, that's what they stepped out to do, to stay close, because remember it said the star led them, and they followed hard. There's a, a um, now I'm going to, for the time's sake, I won't go there, but um, the fourth or fifth, whatever we're on, thing is this. They were pursuing him. But that pursuit or the success of that pursuit really had to do, take a step back, with preparation. Now, this is huge, too. Again, I'm, I'm just kind of my own personal experience, things that I've learned that God has showed me. Think of what they had to do to take a three-month Five-month, six-month, one-year journey, they had to prepare food, provisions, camels. I love the way they um, show the wise men in that movie, The Nativity Story. I just think, for one, they're funny and smart and had cool camels. And But think of all the things that they had to prepare. There's a, there's a pastor. Uh, I love to listen to his podcast. His name is Robert Morris, Gateway Church. And uh, I've heard him say, and maybe he got it from someone else, but he always says, God comes to a prepared atmosphere. And it's true. It's not just a nice coin phrase. When you look at Scripture, all throughout Scripture, you see it over and over and over. God shows up when the people are prepared. And oftentimes he will even say, prepare yourself, I'm coming. Remember when he said, tell the people I'm coming, prepare themselves on the third day I'll be here. When they were at the base of their mountain, you guys remember that? Over and over, the whole Mosaic Covenant, the whole sacrificial system is about you prepare a place where God's glory will come and it would come in the pillar of a fire. His presence would be there. But it wouldn't come. That pillar of fire, God's presence wouldn't come until the last thing in the tabernacle was put in place. And you just think about that in our life. The atmosphere of my mind, the atmosphere of my heart, maybe literally an atmosphere, a place where you might go, Listen, God wants you to come and worship Him. And He says, draw near to Him and He will draw near to you. He wants that. But on our part, according to a a scriptural principle, He comes when there's preparation done. I'm not saying that we got to go build a tabernacle or a hut or something, but just that attitude of what's going on in our heart, what's going on in our life. Um, Man, there's all kinds of, of, of Scripture. I was thinking about the ten virgins. Um, if you remember the story, um, five of the virgins didn't prepare oil for their lamp. Five of them did. You guys remember that story? It's a great parable. You can, if you've never heard it, you can read about it in Matthew uh, chapter 25. But the groom came. The groom was ready. And the five that had prepared their oil were ready. But the five who didn't have oil prepared, they were asking the ones that did, hey, can I have some of your oil? And they're like, no, you know, we were prepared. What were you doing? You know, I don't know what they were doing. 
But all through Scripture, see, the, the groom is coming. And he's coming for his bride. And not just, that's kind of an end times kind of a thing. But that's not just an end times thing. That's a daily thing. The groom wants to come daily and commune, dine, sup, you know, with his people. And he will do that when there's a, when there's a prepared uh, atmosphere. Um, and I, I, I kind of wrote this down this morning, and I'll, I'll say it, and then I'll qualify what I mean. Preparation brings promise. And you can write that in. Sometimes I like saying things to where you can just remember it. Preparation brings promise. And what I mean by promise is hope. When you prepare, and you can take this to the bank, when you prepare your heart, when you prepare your mind, the atmosphere, maybe there's a place you go, when you set out, I'm coming to worship the Lord. I'm setting aside time, energy, I got my word, I got whatever. When you do that, there is promise that he will show, that he will show himself to you. And I was thinking about, as it relates to the Magi, they prepared all this stuff. They prepared their camels. They prepared the food. They prepared everything that they had. And because they prepared, maybe plenty of food, water, I don't know, in their mind, we know that we have what it takes to go the distance. We know that we will get there. We have hope that we will see what we're seeing. We're not just going to we're not just going to go flippantly here. We're going to prepare the best that we can knowing that there's hope of us arriving there and seeing the one that we um, have heard about and our discerning has come onto the scene. You guys tracking with what I'm saying there? And the last thing, actually, um, kind of the last thing, not really, is on that note, worship takes Perseverance. Worship takes perseverance. I say that because a lot of times we'll step out, we'll prepare the atmosphere, we'll have our place, our word, our whatever, wake up early, whatever it is, whatever the preparation is and whatever it's all happening. And you'll have that time with the Lord, but you may walk away and raise your hand if if this is you. You may walk away from that time. You may walk away from that time. He's like, whatever it is, that's me. You may walk away from that time just not feeling like God showed up. Come on now, let's be honest. Or that God spoke to you. Or you may, you know, and usually it's just a feeling because usually he did. We just probably weren't listening or didn't want to know what he was talking about. We didn't want to go there. <laughs> but come on, that's common. For us to, okay, I'm finally going to do it. I'm going I'm to do it. You pray and you do your thing and you just say, okay, I did it. Where's the fireworks? Sometimes it takes perseverance. Not just doing it once, but doing it again and doing it again and doing it again and again and again. Paul talks about being daily filled with the Holy Spirit. And I thought about this perseverance on two levels. One, persisting, and then one, pushing through. Persisting in the sense of, um, like I was just saying, you know, continually, continually doing something repetitive. I'm going, to, I'm going to do this every day. I'm going to do this uh, more than once a week or on Sunday. I'm going to do this every day. I'm, I'm going to do this 
three times a week, four times a week, I'm going to set aside, prepared atmosphere, all that stuff. I'm going to do it over and over and over, kind of persisting to do it over and over. And there's all kinds of models of that in Scripture. Uh, Jacob wrestling with God. You know, I'm persistent. I'm not going to let go. I'm going to, I'm going to fight. And I'm going to punch. I'm going to do whatever until you bless me. Uh, I thought about how even in the tabernacle, there was a, on the altar of incense, there, were, there was offerings that was lifted up to the Lord day and night. There's models of persistence and how repetition does everything. Remember the, the parable of the widow that was seeking justice from the judge. He's like, finally, I just said, all right, I was tired of her. You know, and not that Jesus is like, I'm tired of you asking. I'm just going to give it to you. But he's saying, if a judge would do it out of, I'm tired of you persisting, then how much more would a holy God who loves you give because you persist? And so there's a model there of, of all that stuff. And then, of course, Jesus said, ask, it'll be given to you. Seek, you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. And even that word ask, it, it, it comes from a, an idea of persistent. It's not just ask once and I'll give it to you. Not that he wouldn't do that. But the idea of that whole thing, in fact, the word ask means to desire. It means to crave. I am asking, I am coming from the standpoint of I desire this. I deeply crave this. Uh, a definition of that word is even to beg, though I don't have to think we have to beg God. The point is, is that I'm coming repetitiously because I so desire it. I so crave it. And the truth is, going back to this thing of, of, of the word, you're probably not going to crave it until... You do it more and more. Amen? It's like they, like they say about beer. You know what I'm saying? How many times have you heard this? Oh, it's an acquired taste. <laughs> you remember that? And in high school, you know, people would say that they were trying to be cool because I, I hated beer, you know? Not that I was a saint. I wasn't even a believer, but I didn't drink beer because I hated it. How many times did somebody say, oh, you know, a 14-year-old, oh, it's an acquired taste. <laughs> oh, how long have you been drinking? Oh, I drink like three before, you know, so I but listen, when it comes to the word, it is an acquired taste. That's why Jesus says things like those who come to me will thirst and hunger no more because you will find like when Jesus himself said, I have food that you know nothing about. Remember when he was talking to the woman at the well, I have food that you don't know anything about because the disciples have went away to get some food. And Jesus is like, I just had a really good encounter with someone that I think will worship me very soon. And if you remember, that story is the one time in Scripture where Jesus said, worshipers must worship me in spirit and truth. I have food that you don't even know anything about. Okay? So there's the persistence side of perseverance, and then there's the push-through side of perseverance, which is basically, hey, pull your bootstraps up, and let's wade through the stuff. You hear what I'm talking about? It's like these magi, you know... By the end of day one, they were exhausted. I mean, how would you like to ride on a camel like that all day, you know? It'd be different if you had a hula hoop. You can be productive, you know what I mean? Backs are all out of line. They get home. They need to go to the chiropractor, you know? Of course, they were scientists. Maybe they do chiropractor. I don't know. My point is, think of the hardships, especially if it was more than three months, four months, five months, close to a year. Some scholars, you know, even think it was possibly two years journey. I don't think it was probably that long. But the road was long. The road was hot. And even though they prepared, you never quite prepare enough, do you? It's like, we're out of beef jerky, you know. But listen, they had the revelation. They saw, they knew, they had it, and they were going to push through. They were going to persevere the push 
through kind. And Scripture talks about this. All I mean, I have, I have so many Scriptures right now that, that we could just read, you know. I mean, even one of the, the um, parable of the, of the soils, one of them was, but the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit. In other words, it, it takes hold and becomes something with perseverance. In Romans 8, Paul says, but if we, talking about believers, hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. We push through because life isn't always hunky-dory. Life isn't always, you know, a blast. Sometimes it gets hard. Sometimes you feel like you're riding on a camel. You know what I mean? 2 Thessalonians 1.4, look what it says. Therefore, we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your uh, persecutions and afflictions which you endure. We ourselves, we talk about you a lot. We're proud of how you persevere even though you go through difficult times. And if there's anybody that knows what it's like to persevere through hardships, suffering, it was Paul. So he's somewhat of an expert on this. And so for us, you know, we always have these excuses of why we don't. And man, I'm telling you, I'm the king of excuses. But the truth is, is we persevere through that. We persevere through whatever it is that would try to be a stumbling block or hold us back from pursuing the Lord, from coming and worshiping Him. We pursue Him. We push through. Now, I will say this. In Revelations 2, and you can turn there real quick because I want you to see it in your own Bible. And I made mention of this last week, and then I'm almost done. In Revelations 2... These are all red letters, so Jesus is talking, and he's talking to the seven churches, and he addresses these churches based upon things that are uniquely going on in their life. And look what he says. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands, that's obviously Jesus, says this, I know your deeds and your toil, in other words, your work, and your perseverance, and that you cannot tolerate evil men, and you put these, uh, you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you have found them to be false, and you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake, and have never grown weary. That is probably one of the best compliments that you could receive from Jesus. He's saying, I applaud you for your perseverance. Why? Because it takes perseverance, you guys. For us to walk this out in the middle of the darkness that we lead uh, or live in, it takes perseverance to remain true to the Lord, to remain righteous, to reflect His glory, to shine the light like He told us to do. It takes perseverance. But I want to come all the way back around because you can have all the perseverance that you want to the determination you can push through. You can do all the right things. You can wake up every morning with your word and you could have two hours of prayer. I mean, you could put yourself in a place where others say no one is as devoted as that guy. But look what Jesus says next in Revelations. I commend you. You guys are pretty tough. But I have this against you. 
that you have left your first love. So we actually go all the way back around to the top. Worship takes passion. I'm not talking about, and, and when Jesus says this, he's not just saying, um, you've lost your first love. He's saying you've lost your first passion. Look at what he says. Remember the heights from which you have fallen and repent and do the things that you did at first. The heights from which you were fallen. If you're like me, when you first got saved, you were pretty passionate. You were on cloud nine. And everything you were, everything you did, flowed out of that passion for the Lord. It's kind of like being married. You can be married. You can have a wife. And you can love her. And you can, you know, have a good marriage. But what what takes that marriage to the other level and makes it amazing is when you're passionate about your wife or your husband. And then you start going back through the list. Passion takes what? Pursuit. Perseverance. You just kind of go through the list. It takes preparation. You know? My wife and I have these conversations all the time. If you're men, your wife will always remind you. <laughs> it's like, uh, remember the list? It's like, oh, I'm sorry. Because by nature, I think all of us, we're, we're, we're fallen, we're self-sufficient, we look out really only for ourselves. But there's this model, I think, again, uh, you know, that you see with the Magi of all these things that it must have taken in their mind and they're, they're walking it out to, to get to Jesus, to make it all the way there. It all comes back around to passion and then it starts circulating through the list again. So you could kind of say this is cyclical. It's a cycle. And it is. And we can choose to break that cycle and stop and get nowhere or we can say, I'm, I'm going to go through all these things and I'm going to push through. I think the key to worshiping the Lord is persistently to persistently pursue Him with passion. <laughs> Just kind of thought that was a nice wrap-up statement. I, could, I tried to get all those into one sentence, but it started sounding like Peter Piper picked up, you know. <laughs> but listen, persistently pursue Him with passion. And you guys, passion is stirred. Passion is stirred. Amen? Would you guys stand with me?